This is the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Syraclad, featuring one-on-one interviews with designers, contractors, city managers, and civic leaders, as well as thought leaders committed to sustainability, innovation, and solutions that are attractive, affordable, and create healthy living environments. Our podcast illuminates the challenges, breakthroughs, and proven solutions brought to industries, organizations, and our communities. From the office and manufacturer of Syraclad in Redmond, Washington, and on location, this is the Architecture and Innovation Podcast. For our guest today, we're uh, really honored and excited to welcome Glenn Ellsman, founding partner of Mission Development Company, located in the San Bernardino Valley. For Glenn, development is not just about the housing or lifestyle center. It's about creating neighborhoods and special places where families can relax, socialize, and enjoy life. Feel free to visit them on the web at neighborhoodcreators.com. Again, that's neighborhoodcreators.com. Glenn, nice to have you on the show. Thank you very much again. Thank you, Tom. Glad to be here. Glenn, if you share with us uh, before we get, uh, got on the show about uh, how we treat others and the respect and value, and I love that. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit for your audience today, why that matters so much to you? Well, I think I think each of us is is born and created with infinite value. Um, we each have different talents and gifts and abilities, and I think our role and responsibility is to do two things. I think it is to try to figure out where we can be a benefit to others by taking what uh, what we're gifted with what we like to do, what we do reasonably well and can maximize. Um, And then I think all people show up to the dance, so to speak, with something to add to the mix. Um, I think I'm I'm an idea guy, uh, but I've learned that I'm not the, the sole proprietor of good ideas. And when I am with people, I believe that everybody has something really of, of value to add to the to the discussion, to the plan, to the ideas. And I think when I value somebody as being equally or more important than myself uh, and afford them that, that dignity and respect, then you can have a collaborative environment where my kind of formula in, in life is one plus one equals 11. Um, and, and that's the type of stuff that I think can really make our communities and our, our regions and, you know, the world a better place. As a developer, did you, were these values instilled in you from your youth or did they kind of come about evolve? I think when I was, uh, when I was in college and I, and I learned what, you know, how I was wired and designed, um, that was kind of a pivotal moment. I had a teacher who, who kind of unlocked that secret within me. Um, and it, it kind of led to a foundational belief in me that we're, we're all valuable human beings. Um, and so that that's kind of where the genesis of that began as and and growing up i never thought of getting into 
uh, business. And uh, two things I said, politics and business, I would never get into because um, I wanted to help people. And I didn't you know, think that, you know, dirtbags and scumbags, you know, <laughs> names associated with the two <laughs> areas, you know, just was kind of what was in my mind. Um, but along the way, um, my creating, um, you know, having ideas led to me on, on a path where I had an idea to bring a business into town and that necessitated my reaching out to the city and I introduced myself to the mayor and lo and behold, we had this restaurant, Hometown Buffet, get started and, and not started, but uh, opened one of their stores in, in our community and one of their restaurants, which ended up being one of the top performing restaurants in the chain. and. I was asked to be on some committees at the city and ultimately I ran for city council and I was on the city council for about four and a half years. And that just opened up all kinds of vistas and latitudes that I never, never even knew existed. And it really launched me into see there's a lot of ways you can help people and have a, a better impact. Um, ultimately I met a home builder and uh, happened to be Lewis Homes at the time. They were the largest privately held home builder in, in the country. And I lost my reelection in 1998, and they invited me to work for them part time initially. And then I worked for them for about two and a half years and learned the land development, you know, side of, of things. And then 20 years ago, I started my own company and, um, you know, wanted to embrace what I thought would make great places to live and, and, and put the things that I thought mattered into the communities that I, you know, developed and so, you know, so forth. Now these communities, you and I talked uh, before we came on the show about uh, uh, some of the projects, if you're at Liberty to share some of the projects that you're doing now, or even if, that you've done. Yeah, so in it started. It all started out with about a forty-acre piece of land in Loma Linda. Um, uh, it was a vacant piece of land. It was zoned for mobile homes, um, and I had started to get introduced to some of the country's leading planners, like Peter Calthorpe, as, as one example. And there was this movement twenty-five years ago to re-embrace traditional neighborhood design. And that's kind of the livable, walkable, lovable city, so to speak, where the focus was less on the size of the lots and more on the quality and the key elements of the neighborhood design. Narrower streets for, for safe, you know, for safety, you know, cars would go slower. Um, Tree-lined streets, easily accessible open space and parks, um, architecture forward elements, you know, and ultimately this grew into uh, about three projects and about 500 homes. Um, and then started other projects. Uh, Another big project up in Highland, which was a big mixed-use project that I've been a part of for, for a while. And um, that's, you know, the market has changed, so that can get developed. And then other other infill deals where I've 
gone into construction uh, try to create little pockets of infill uh, that it, again embrace just trying to create a great place that people want to live and enjoy that community i can sense that that really matters to you how so and and, and even why so if you don't mind uh sharing well it. i you know i was really lucky as a kid i ended up um growing up in a in a small community outside of new york city by the name of garden city and this was a master plan community that was designed you know in the late 1800s and i grew up with the i walked to school uh, we rode our bikes to the library to the town pool you know we had the tree-lined streets oddly enough i used to um go to school where we had lunch breaks where we would come home for lunch and because i live two minutes from school i could me and my friend we would climb trees every day on the way home for lunch and you know our neighborhood parks and just all all of those aspects that kind of shaped my growing up i really didn't think much about it until years later after i moved to california and uh, into Loma Linda and and what we had in in Garden City was pretty much non-existent out here in, in the Loma Linda area so that always stuck in my mind and um, you know realizing that it matters that you can create great places um, that you know when everybody's long gone people will be enjoying where they live having the chance to come home from work, walk to the park, and and grow as a family is just one simple area. Get to know their neighbors and have a good time. Excellent. You're listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast presented by Cyraclad. We're talking today with Glenn Elsman of Mission Development Company. For more information, feel free to visit their website at neighborhoodcreators.com. Again, that's neighborhoodcreators.com. Dot com. Now, Glenn, was there, is there, if looking back on it, is there ever a, a time that you can, uh, maybe not exactly have foreseen yourself, but as a, uh, you can see yourself now as a, a real estate developer, land developer, uh, in your, say, your early professional career, that it all kind of makes sense, just your life experiences? It did seem like it was a great convergence of my, of my life experiences. Yeah, I think. Oddly enough, that's an interesting way to put that. How share with us, you know, how so? If uh, I don't want to put you on the spot, of course, but uh, well, I uh, mean, they were just they were just. I, I always when I when I go out and about, and it's always been that way. I I try to capture uh, either in my mind prior to the advent of the iPhone, and mm. since the iPhone, I I love taking pictures of of neighborhoods and architecture and homes and and uh, you know what is it that that people are drawn to what type of spaces work you know it's something that when i travel and go around various places um i'm, I'm drawn to that and i'm always trying to figure out what is it that attracts me to that why do people like that or why do people not like something? Um, and, and I, you know, it, it, ultimately 
it all comes down to relationships and in the bigger macro picture kind of back to philosophy it really does come down to relationships and i think relationships are built from respect and value and all the other things that i articulate um but i see space as a way to design areas that strengthen relationships community families etc so I, I see it as a really vital um, component of life frankly and if we can find ways to elevate and and have dignity and value and you know enjoyable places um, meaningful places um, I think it just adds to the richness and quality of life frankly that relationships in construction, building, architecture, we hear now sustainability. And I could ask you, you know, what does it mean to you? But it all, I'll, throw, I'll put this in there. Relationships have a sustainability factor as well, if not a growth factor. What's your thought on that? I think, I think in a, in a more profound way, sustainability is what aside from the materials because mm -hmm. um, you know, candidly i don't see the use of materials changing that significantly for a whole host of reasons um but what will that community what will that development be like what will it live like how will the people who live there um you know how are they going to feel about where they live are they is is the community going to maintain value is it going to be a place that strengthens back to relationships is it a place where people enjoy and they want to be there or is it just a habitat that people come in lock their doors and you know surf on the internet i mean but those are the things that that ultimately matter and and i think as human beings were made for connection and interactions and all the dynamics that make us want to get up in the morning and, and do things. I like that we're made for uh, connection and interaction, regardless of uh, how important the digital space is and the digital world is realm is and how, right even how we're connecting right now so digitally uh my belief is uh you can never you, you we're not going to be able to uh minimize the impact of a human connection what's your thoughts on that i i think i think i think this covid crisis has just absolutely uh, illustrated that um, the you can't isolate people without grave consequence on to society um, and i think that it's a it's there have to be better ways that we can manage the the fear factor am i going to be safe with am i able to find a way to to engage and be a part of 
interaction with all kinds of people and in in all walks of life um you know it's interesting now that we we're, we're opening back up you know how many restaurants have you tried to go to where you you cannot get a place to to sit um now clearly there's a shrinkage of supply but i mean that that doesn't change i mean the opportunity to do grubhub or or whatever other services you want you could easily get that food to your home but that's not what people want and um i, I think we're going to see a, a real backlash against this intense digital lifestyle that um it, it's just it's just gotten way out of control let me my wife is a teacher and it's it's really interesting because they obviously went through all the Zoom learning. And when they came back to in-person learning, regular classroom, kids going to school, um, she had one of the few days she had to be out, she had an appointment, she, she couldn't be there. And so she had her lesson, it was video ahead of time. It was the identical lesson of the content. When she came back and, and the kids had not had her miss a day since they had been back to school without all of the uh, uh, Zoom learning. And when she came back the next day, they were, the kids were really upset that, that she wasn't there. And she made a, a simple point, which was I mean, the, the lesson was identical. It was, but that wasn't good enough. And you realize that, that the interpersonal connection and communication, there is just an infinite number of subtleties and dynamics that the digital world cannot pick up when, when you're, as an example, in a group, all of the energy and, and reactions and body language and just digi digitizing that can't feed back into a back and forth communication. And, uh, it's really profound. I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping we'll swing back to um, more of embracing that. But I mean, it's tragic. I mean, you still see people, you know, with all their digital devices and restaurants mm -hmm. and opportunities connected. And it's like, and, and you just look at the healthy, the, 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 the epidemics in health that we're having in terms of the lack of fitness and childhood obesity and the explosion of diabetes and all. We have to change what we do. I mean, there was a time where you kids were not home. They were outside playing. They were doing stuff. And um, what can happen is that developers can create neighborhoods and communities where rather than, you know, parents get home after fighting traffic for who knows how long, rattled and frazzled, and the kids are like, can we go to the park? It's like, who wants to hop back in the car, drive 5, 15, whatever minutes to go to the park? Versus, yeah, let's go outside and walk across the street. There's a park or you cut through a, a connecting point. You got a park or grab your bike and we ride around the neighborhood because it's safe and designed that you can do that. Um, that's what I see in, in, in the community that I was describing that, that we did in Loma Linda. And it, it's awesome. It's totally a, a fantastic thing that can happen. And being outside and those interactions are, are vital for our mental health and well-being. Um, but it's still just shockingly tragic how, because of various factors within policies and communities, you still have 
standard boring subdivisions that don't foster those kind of opportunities at all. That, that's the real tragedy. But in the communities that have it, in the neighborhoods that have it, I, I think you end up with a much more positive dynamic. Excellent. You're listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Sierraclad. Our public service announcement is for the California Preparatory College. The California Preparatory College administration, staff, and faculty combined to provide the Inland Empire with an affordable and long-lasting college education based on Christian values. To find out more information, feel free to visit their website at calprepcollege.com. Again, that's calprepcollege.com. Our guest today is Glenn Ellsman of Mission Development Company. Glenn, can you share with us why the uh, CPC College, California Prep College, matters to you? You bet. Um, California Preparatory College was created to offer an alternative two-year college experience for students who couldn't afford to go away to a four-year college or university who wanted to be in a, in a smaller, supportive, value-driven environment where um, the odds of success and degree completion or the completion of your prerequisites uh, had a higher chance of happening so that you could then transfer on to another four-year college and university to finish up your, your degree. Um, and, and we set it out where, where we're, we don't want kids to fall through the cracks. We, we care about our kids showing up and our students being able to uh, learn and overcome whatever obstacles or needs they have and, um, and get what they need. A typical California community college, um, the average student could attend these uh, colleges for over six years and, and fewer than 30% will have received a two-year degree. That's, that's the average. Uh, the California Community College System is the largest junior college system in the nation. It's with over two and a half million students. It's a quarter of all college students in the country. Um, and um, quarter of all the community college students in America go to California Community College, let me correct them. And um, uh, studies have shown that if students can complete at least 30 semester hours, their financial trajectory will change for life and be able to have an impact on their kids and their kids. So education is, is, is clearly one of the most transformative things that, that people can do for themselves and their future families. Um, so we just see an opportunity to provide an alternative that uh, can give kids uh, and students uh, a different pathway, a more effective pathway uh, to, a, to a transformed future for their lives. Excellent. Glenn, is there uh, anything is it personally or professionally as a real estate and land developer that you'd like to share on your show with your audience today that we may not have touched on? 
I think, you know, prior to COVID and, and emerging out of COVID, the, the, probably the number one issue facing our society today is the acute lack of housing. Um, the opportunities for people to be able to buy and own their own homes is dwindling dramatically. Um, the cost of housing has exploded and it's across the country. Uh, there's a severe shortage and there are concrete solid ways that we could remove the obstacles and unleash the private sector to solve and produce to solve the housing crisis and produce the millions of homes that our country needs. Um, there was a time when the obstacles were low and the supplies and material were plentiful and we had a very normal healthy cycle. It used to be that an average salary could easily afford buying a home. And, um, and have a very good uh, standard of living. Uh, the percentage of income that it takes to, to purchase a home is in many cases, 50% or more of, of a person's salary. Um, the, the unintended consequences that politicians have um, created with laws that were intended to try to help certain things uh, have only compounded the problems. So let me illustrate one point. Uh, clearly, it's, it's not good to have a construction site where dirty water leaves the site, um, whether it's from a big storm and you have mud leaving the site or trash or those types of things. So I don't think anybody has a problem with trying to have a site where the storm water leaves cleanly. But the obstacles that go into water quality management and the design features to keep water from leaving your property, just to get your water quality management plan approved, takes longer than it does to build a home. The cost to implement water quality management plans is, in, in many cases, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. And what's interesting is it was all done so that we would keep our creeks and our streams and our rivers clean. And look at the consequence. The consequence today is that we have driven the cost of housing up. We have pushed now hundreds of thousands of people in the state of California into homelessness. And where I live, the scores of homeless that live in those creeks and those streams and those rivers and the trash and the debris and the human filth and waste and drugs and pollution is exponentially more than any amount of muddy water or little bit of trash that may have floated down the street into the storm drain into the creeks and roads. So it, it's absolutely crazy. And it, it, it bogs down our ability as developers to have approved projects 
that can then get built. It's, it's a massive crisis. That's just one un, unintended consequence. Another unintended consequence are all the, the other rules to comply with, with energy efficiency. Everybody's in favor of energy efficiency. It matters. But the, the mindset of the legislatures is, well, what's another $10,000? What's another $20,000? You know, as a percentage of the home, it's not a big deal. But what they don't realize is that all roads lead to capital. And in order to build homes, somebody's going to have to loan the money and somebody's going to have to invest the money to build that project. And if the returns don't meet certain minimum criteria, the project will not get funded. The project will not get built. What that means in the real world is, is that by the time you stack all these costs and all these development impact fees, which in and of itself, you can have impact fees that can be 40, 50, 60, $80,000 for a home. I mean, the cost before you even pour a concrete slab would blow your mind. So you end up stacking up costs upon costs upon costs. And the only way the model works is home builders have to build bigger, more expensive homes to be able to capture and repay those costs and still make a margin. If, 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 you, if you don't believe me, look at how big the average size home is. Now, that home, just the cost of the sticks and the bricks and the concrete and the, the, under the roof, let's just say is $100 a square foot. Well, if I have to build a 2,000 square foot home versus a 1,000 square foot home, which by the way, before World War II, after World War II, you had mom, dad, and pick the number, three, four, five, six kids, three bedrooms, one bath home, no garage, and the average wage versus the cost of the home was twice the cost of the home, or so two to three times the cost of the home of the average wage. And it worked. That's not the case now. Now I'm not even allowed to build a home without a garage, two-car garage. And all of these requirements, which all sounded great, have just that nexus between a thousand square foot home and a two thousand square foot home is one hundred thousand dollars just in material costs of building the home. So this is why we don't have. I mean, you got to ask yourself in California, how is it that I can go to Texas and I can get a two hundred thousand square a two hundred thousand dollar home, a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar home? California, you can't touch a home, new home under half a million dollars. They're buying the wood from the same lumber mills, the drywall from the same drywall uh, manufacturers. So you have to peel back the layers and say, this is crazy. This, this is not sustainable. And the policymakers can have a huge impact. Now, I, I think that, you know, as an example, Many communities force builders to build on minimum lot sizes of uh, 7,200 square feet, which is about four homes per acre. If you allowed twice that, or you allowed townhomes, it doesn't have to be where we're having these battles within the state and the cities are up in arms where we're trying to build 
four, five, ten story um, buildings in cities, and I understand the densification along mass transit, that's the extreme, which by the way, those buildings are extremely expensive to build. I'm talking about the vacant land, the infill, the suburban conditions where you have a five acre piece, a 10 acre piece, where instead of having 40 homes, you could have a hundred homes. Still of great value. It's not like you're gonna you're gonna build squalor and 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 uh, um, low quality, poor design in bad neighborhoods. But in California, we we just have this notion: if it's going to be smaller than those people, we're going to have, you know, we're, we're going to hurt our community because those people are going to move in. You go to other places throughout the country. And you could go down a really uh, high-valued neighborhood that is not just large detached homes, but duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes, you know, tasteful apartments, all of this. You could have a mix of housing types. California just can't deal with that. And if, if you just look at the amount of land that most communities have for low-density housing, I'm talking under five units an acre. It's got to be in excess of 80, 90% of the, of the land that's available, particularly in suburban areas. But you can't keep sustaining that. I mean, people talk about urban sprawl. The, the, I think that the deeper layer of urban sprawl is, is, like I said, you're forcing bigger homes, you're forcing higher price homes, you're forcing larger costs of infrastructure spread out among fewer homes, which adds the CFDs, the higher tax payments. All of these things are driving up mortgage payments and the notion that says, well, I could do smaller lots, smaller homes, whether they're detached or attached, lower my development cost, lower the fees, lower the cost of homes, still have very livable, fantastic neighborhoods that people would find very desirous. It's, we tend to be an all or nothing proposition. And it, it's really, the, the chickens are coming home to roost. This is really destroying, in California, it will destroy our, you talk about sustainability. Sustainability means that your kids can buy a home in the community they grew up in. If you want people to be part of the fabric of our communities, you can't say, well, that's great, but you have to commute an hour for your work, because we don't want you to be able to buy an affordable home here because now you became one of those people. I mean, I've seen this in communities out here where you have some of the largest concentration of jobs, just incredible concentration of jobs, good paying white collar jobs, where the majority of those employees cannot afford to live in the community they work. And these are communities with vacant land that insist on low density housing. And it's unsustainable. So everybody says, well, we're tired of traffic. We're tired. Well, of course you are. Your employment centers are creating the traffic that is clogging up all the freeways and people trying to get their 30 minutes, hour, hour and a half to be able to afford a place to live. I mean, you, you were earlier talking before the show, what is a developer? We're, we're just the shelter guys. You know, there's, there's, there's food, there's water. The next one is shelter. And people have no idea what it takes to be able to like 
hey, how did how did I end up in a in a with a roof over my head that I can flush the toilet? I just kind of take it for granted. But there there are just needlessly way too many obstacles that are very costly, and it 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 is it is going to short of a great reset or some radical action to simplify and get some sanity in the mix here. This will destroy the sustainability of the California economy. Glenn, it's been uh, an honor and pleasure having you on uh, the show today. Thank you much. Fascinating topic and uh, definitely enlightening as well. Really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much, Glenn. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you. Our guest today has been Glenn Ellsman, founding partner of Mission Development Company, located in the San Bernardino Valley. For Glenn, development is not just about the housing or lifestyle center. It's about creating neighborhoods and special places where families can relax, socialize, and enjoy life. For more information, feel free to visit our website at neighborhoodcreators.com. Again, that's neighborhoodcreators.com. You've been listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Syraclad. The Architecture and Innovation Podcast is recorded from the offices of Syraclad in Redmond, Washington, and on location. Thank you.